first Christian. Strangely enough, as I prepared this, um, my software that I use, which some of you use with me, Logos Bible Software, told me that back in February of this year, I had preached another sermon called The First Christian. So this one came up with a little two behind it, which means, hey, you've done this before. And I had to go back and look, and I actually titled another service, the first, another sermon, The First Christian. But you are not hearing a repeat. This morning when I came in, I went to Eric. Eric is my reading guru. Sometimes I ask him about things that he has read or tell him about things that I have read. The last two times that I mentioned, or including today, that I mentioned to Eric a book, oddly enough, he said to me, my dad told me about that, and I read it. And what was really odd about the one today that I'm going to tell you about is that I read this book last week, and my son's leaving for Mexico, and I sent it to him by email, you know, I gifted it to him uh, last night because I thought he would like to read it. Uh, the name of the book is The Six Types of Working Genius. It is written by Patrick Lencioni, and you've got you to follow me here real close. The book tries to help the reader find fulfillment in their work or what they're doing in their vocation by tapping into the natural strengths of the people around them. Now, could you see how that might work in the church? If we could just tap into the natural strengths of those around us. But the working genius, there are six of them. It has to do with what you may be really good at, and usually most of us have one or two things, and then you may have a third or a fourth that we call like a, a competency, where you could do it, you might not really want to do it, but you could do it if you had to do it, and when an organization has all six of the geniuses in place amongst its members, you can get something done. What are the six geniuses? Well, the first is the genius of wonder. It identifies the need for something to change. The person who has the, the genius of wonder can look at something and say, something's got to change here. The second genius is invention. Invention says, yes, I confirm what the person with wonder has identified. We need to have something change. And here's the solution. I'm going to invent right the solution that needs to take place the third genius is discernment and discernment what it does is the person who has discernment looks and they assess what the solution or the invention person has come up with and they try to assess uh, if it's possible if we can do this or not and then there's the galvanizer galvanizers are your cheerleaders they generate enthusiasm they say, this is a great idea and why you need to get on board with it so we can solve the problem that we've identified. And then there is enablement. Enablement initiates support and assists in the implementation of the idea or the solution. Let me say that to you another way. People that have enablement are your worker bees. They're the people that are going to get something done. You know, this past week, when we had the uh, dinner following the funeral here, I walked into the kitchen, and I don't even know what Venetia said to me, but within 30 seconds, my hands were washing dishes. She said something, and it struck me, and the next thing I know, my hand's over there in a pot washing dishes, and I'm like, how did I get here? 
Worker bees do the work. Worker bees get the solution implemented and get it done. But, but then there's one more, and that is tenacity. The person who has the genius of tenacity is able to push the solution or the project through to completion, to be sure that the, the needed results, the change that you want, is achieved or is implemented. And when you have that in your group, things get done. It's a great group. It's a great book for people at work, for people in the church, for any group. But it takes people. It's all about people. Groups of people. Different gifts, different graces, different skill sets, different abilities. It could help you if you were trying to recruit or to hire people for a specific task because you could identify what is this person good at in their past and their experience and how does that fit into our group. But what about when there is no group? What about when it's just you and God has decided in his creative gift, natural gift of genius wonder that something has to change? What about when God comes to you, not as your church, not as your group, but to you and says something has to change and I've picked you to help implement that change. And you'd look at this and say, but I'm not able, but I'm not worthy, but I can. That's kind of where we find Joseph this morning. Now we're going to do what we usually do. We're going to go through this a verse at a time. When I get to the last three verses, I'm going to speed through them. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them. That way you can get out of here in time to eat whatever you're cooking today or whatever restaurant you're getting to. But look, if you would, at that first verse, the 18th verse. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. The word birth that is used here in the 18th verse is the same word that was used by Matthew in the very first verse of his gospel where he said the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. That word genealogy right there is the same word that Matthew uses here when he's talking about Joseph and he says the birth of Jesus Christ was in this way. Some Bibles will say the history of Jesus Christ went this way. And then here at 18 it will say the history of Jesus Christ, the son of David. But right here, we're talking, I think, about the best word, the birth. Now notice, if you would, in this verse that, that Joseph and Mary were betrothed. They were prepared to be married. This was a legal binding obligation on Joseph's part. The only thing that could break where he was in this position where he was in with Mary would have been infidelity, adultery. The only thing that could have put it off would have been that. The marriage had not yet been consummated. It would happen when Joseph took Mary home to his home to be his wife. But you also want to note that when we get to the next verse, and I'm not going to put it on the screen right now, but we'll get there in a minute. When you look at the 19th verse, it says Joseph was her husband. So important to see that. It's different than how you and I think about these things, that Joseph was at this point also considered to be Mary's husband and it says here before they came together now this phrase appears in the bible in other places but let's be very clear 
When it says it right here, what it is saying is that sexual intercourse had not yet occurred. Okay? Let's just get that right out there on the table. Mary and Joseph had not been together in any way. Joseph had not taken her home yet. But look at that last phrase in this verse. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Found to be. Let's stop and talk about that for a minute. What does that mean? Was Mary trying to hide the fact that she was pregnant? No, that's not it. You know, I get up and watch the news in the morning. Lately, I've been getting up really early. Don't ask me why. But when the news comes on, and I'm already up, there's a announcer, a female announcer on there who has been pregnant since I don't know when. I don't really know the month. But I can remember when she announced it. And when she announced it, you would have no clue that she was pregnant. Today, as I'm talking to you right now, when I get up tomorrow morning and I turn the news on, it is very obvious that she is going to have a child. She is much farther along in her pregnancy. And here in this passage, when Matthew writes that, that Mary was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, it was obvious. That's what he's trying to tell us. You could tell that Mary was pregnant. And it says her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her in shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, there are three ways that you can read this verse. And I want you to stick with me because we all read it one way. I know you do. You have been in Sunday school forever, and you have read this verse one way, but I want you to give you some, a few other considerations. Her husband Joseph, a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. If you assume that Joseph knew about the virgin conception, and that Joseph is, as the verse says, a just man, and he didn't want to bring the matter out into the public display, Maybe he felt pretty unworthy to marry somebody like Mary who had been chosen by God to carry the Messiah. Maybe Joseph, knowing about the conversation in Luke where the Annunciation takes place and Mary is told who Jesus will be and what she was carrying, maybe Joseph just says, gee, I am not worthy and this is my solution to this problem. But the problem is, the language of the verse kind of implies that Joseph noticed what everybody else was noticing. And that's when he found out, she's, she's pregnant. So I don't think that's really what happened. The second possibility is that Joseph is a just man, and he didn't want to expose Mary to public, uh, you know, public uh, disgrace, so he proposes a quiet divorce. If you go back in the Old Testament to the book of Numbers, you will find there in the fifth chapter what was considered to be a private divorce. It just took two witnesses. And Joseph, if he's a just man, maybe he's just decided that, well, uh, you know, I, I'm going to put her away privately. Can I tell you something? That's likely what Joseph was proposing. But there's this third possibility, and I I only bring it up for this reason. When it says that Joseph was a just man, maybe it means he was just a nice guy. Don't we all like nice guys? I mean, maybe it is that, that, that Joseph 
is just a nice guy. He doesn't want Mary to go through all this stuff. And so Joseph, just wanting to be a nice guy, is going to be merciful, whatever you want to call it, enters the situation. I think it goes back to that middle one I said to you. I think Joseph is a just person in his mind. He, he wants to, to allow Mary the dignity of walking away and him to not have his own reputation damaged by this situation. I want you to note two words in this verse. Notice that word unwilling. You see that word? He's unwilling. He doesn't have a strong desire to shame Mary. He, he doesn't want to point out that she did something. Second word I want you to notice is that word resolved. That word resolved is important. The word that's used here has a long history. And the long history before the gospel is written is that it's like a wish list. You know, I took my grandson this week, some of you may have seen him on Facebook, and we had a little party day together. And after the party day, we went and did a little shopping. And as we walked through the aisles of a few stores, I want to tell you, that boy has a wish list. I mean, he wants this, and he wants that, and he wants this, and he wants that. He wanted a, is it a Wakanda mask from the, the Black Panther, and I don't think he's even seen the Black Panther. I haven't, but he wanted that mask. He wanted... Those Legos, he wanted the Star Wars ship, he wanted the Star Wars whatever that thing is like this. He had a wish list. That's what the word resolve used to mean. But by the time of the gospel, by the time of the birth of Jesus, it means something completely different. It means this is a purpose. It doesn't mean I wish or I desire. It means this is what's going to happen. And usually, understand this, this word is used in conjunction with God. Hebrews 6.17 says this, When God desired to show more convincingly to his heirs the promise of the unchangeable character of his purpose. Now stop for a minute and understand that. Did you hear what it said? The unchangeable, that's pretty, that's pretty solid, right? The unchangeable character of his purpose. It's the same word. It's pretty firm. It's not, you know, that God desired to show us what he hoped would happen. No, this is, God wanted to reveal to us the unchangeable nature of his purpose. James 1.18, it says this, of his own will, he brought us forth by the truth. It's not of his own desire, of his own wish list, it's of his will. So this word has purpose, and it's usually used with reference to God, but here it's used with reference to Joseph. Joseph is pretty set. This is what's going to happen. Everywhere else where the word is used, it's pretty certain. And right here it is too. Joseph has made his mind up. But as he considers these things, I did a little word study on that word considered, and I won't bore you with all the details because I've done enough of that already. But I want to tell you, it means that Joseph studied this. It means he looked at it high and low. He looked at the breadth, the width of it. He looked at every angle he could look at. And as he considered these things, he had arrived at this conclusion. Here's what I've got to do. And look at this. An angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream. 
And the angel says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. I want you to just notice for a minute that when Joseph has a plan to solve his dilemma, that's when God steps in with a dream. Did you hear me? When Joseph has his own plan for the dilemma, that is when God steps in with a dream. I want you to look at what that angel said. Joseph, son of David. Do you remember how the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew starts in the first chapter? It is the lineage of Jesus, and it's through the line of David. I mean, again and again, it's just pointing out that Jesus is going to be out of the lineage of David. And here this angel comes in a dream to Joseph and says, Joseph, son of David. Don't fear to take Mary as your wife. What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. I want to stop for a minute and just assume that you know about what took place in the Gospel of Luke. You know, Mary, or Mary is visited and the Annunciation takes place. And Mary, you are going to be this child of the Holy Spirit. And she's now saying, how could this be? Well, it'll be the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And all that. What I want you to see between Mary and Joseph is this. Mary cooperated with God before the conception. Did you ever think of that? Mary, that's what you want. Let it be. That's what she said. Joseph, on the other hand, it's when Mary was found to be with child, he starts making his plans. Are, are you all with me? And as he's making his plans and his purposes and his designs and how to get out of this mess and how to be sure that Mary's taken care of, yada, 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 God steps into the situation. Mary had been told that this child's name would be Jesus. Name him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. You all know this. I know you're biblical scholars, but I want to I just have you stay with me for a minute. Jesus is the Greek form of Joshua. It identifies Mary's son as the one who's going to bring Yahweh's eschatological. Look at that. Eschatological, big word. He's going to bring the kingdom into being. We've arrived at the time. You know, in the Old Testament, there are at least four Joshua's mentioned. Two of them you would have a hard time finding because they bear absolutely no reason to listen to whatsoever. The third one, you know, as a successor to Moses, Joshua, who fought the battle of Jericho. Joshua, who led the people down into the promised land. And so he's somebody important. But then there's another Joshua, and that's in Zechariah 6, who, who talks in Zechariah about rebuilding the temple. And isn't it odd that this angel doesn't identify in any way, point out and go back to any of those Joshua's. With all of the expectation that the Jews would have had, that this Messiah would redeem them from the Roman tyranny they were under, and the possibility that he might even purify them as a people. Isn't it odd that all that Mary and Joseph know now is that he will save his people from their sins? 
that he is going to redeem. He's going to give himself as a ransom for people who need a ransom for their sins. And then Matthew says all this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall give him the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, having had his plan, having had his set in stone idea of what he was going to do next, when Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife. I've written something down here. It's put a bad location in the verse because I need to get you to the next verse for you to gather understanding from the sentence that has a comma, but I want to inject this right here for you. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. I want you to note Joseph changed course. Joseph shifted. He carries out God's plan. And then it says he took his wife, but knew her not until she had, been gi- he had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. You know that when I'm done with the scripture, I always take you to the bottom line. I have the bottom line right here, but I'm not going to tell it to you just yet. I'm going to give you a little hint for a minute. We talk a lot in the church about obedience to God. I want to tell you something. Obedience to God will change your plans from form to his. Do you realize that? If you're really going to be obedient to God, your plans may change because he needs them to change for him to fulfill his purposes. Do you know what Joseph's plans were? Back here in that 19th verse, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. I want to talk about two things here before we get to the bottom line. Joseph was a just person. It meant to be righteous. It meant to be a person who did not break God's moral standard. And Joseph was a just man, and he wanted to stay that way. He didn't want this circumstance also to change his, disip- his disposition towards marriage. He, he's a just man, but he also wants to divorce Mary quietly. He, he, he wants to show some compassion, if you would, to the situation. Joseph in this situation, it possibly would be real easy to become an angry person. What do you mean? Get that? What do you mean? It would have been real easy. In the book of Mark chapter 12, and I'm shifting gears on you, but If you will pay attention to the next three verses I read, four verses I read, it will help you in the understanding of Joseph's plan. One of the scribes came up and said to Jesus, what commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus said this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. 
And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, I want you to understand, and they applauded Jesus, that one that asked, hey, you got that right. I'm right with you. I want you to understand this. Every Jew knew two things about following Yahweh. The first was to be just. You had to conform, sometimes meticulously, to his law. Every detail. No slip-ups. But by the time Jesus comes along, and we have that beautiful Sermon on the Mount, you know, I mean, Jesus, Jesus rips apart the law in so many ways in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you. And he would just lay out the law over here. Here's what you got to do to be righteous. Here's what the law says, yada, yada, yada. But here's what it means and how it lives out. And so every Jew knew that, yeah, you had to follow that law meticulously, but they also knew deep down inside themselves that you can't. Jesus knew that too. And so he says, you've heard it said that you should not murder, but I say to you, if you say to your brother, angry word, you've got it all right. You've heard it said that you should not you know, you know, commit adultery. He said, but I say to you, if you look on another person the wrong way, you've already done that. You, you see what I'm saying to you? Here's the law, but Jesus is getting down to the heart of the matter, what's in us. And so here's Joseph, to be a just person who followed the law. But by the time of Jesus, it would be marked by how you live. And that's how why Jesus said, and the second commandment is just as good. You should love your neighbor the way you love yourself. There's no commandment greater than this. You would love God by conforming here, but you would also love God by living here. And everybody knew you really couldn't do this, but you could sure make an effort at doing this. Before the angel shows up in Joseph's dream, the most just or righteous thing he could have done was to do what he planned to do. Let's Let's just divorce Mary and get this behind us quietly. But when the angel shows up with a new purpose and a new plan, this is so important. Joseph now has a choice. If he just marries Mary, two things would have been painfully obvious to the casual observer of his day. First, Joseph was not as righteous as he thought he was. Because he has married her because he had to. He's just marrying her to cover up what he's already done. And secondly, Joseph is not as compassionate as we thought he was. He's just serving himself. He's used Mary. Depending on how you view Mary's part in this mess, Joseph was willing to marry practically anyone to just get rid of the problem. But God shows up in a dream by an angel with a new purpose and a new plan. And what that means is Joseph has a choice. He has a choice to make. And the writer of Matthew tells us that the choice he made was to marry Mary and to name the baby Jesus because he was God with us and he was going to save his people from their sins. And that gets me to my bottom line. Conversion makes his plan my purpose. You know, this time of year, <laughs> when, we, 
when we come in here every Sunday and you walk in the room and Eric has played the great Christian music, you know, that you hear when you walk in and you hear that playing, he is playing that off of my Spotify account. Now, I'm sure you don't know what that means, but I have an account where I listen to music. And the way Spotify works is it will bring up over and over again the things you listen to most. So this morning when I got up and I'm going over my notes and I'm looking at things, I went to my Spotify account and I realized that in the last week I had listened to the Doobie Brothers, Billy Joel, and there's nothing Christmassy or even Christian showing up in the account. I went over and said, Contemporary Christmas carols or something just so eric would be able to see at least i tried this time of year we play all that christian music and it comes out and we love it but i want to assure you of this you can read all the christian books you want you can go to all the bible studies you want to go to you can teach all the bible studies you want to teach and you can play every song of christian musical that is available but if his plans are not your purpose it's all about Moses says, Joel, what are you bringing Moses up for? Think about it. He is minding his own business. And God shows up in this burning bush. Moses says, but I just want to be out here tending Jethro's stuff, and I just want to live my life and just get this done. God says, no, I've got a different plan for you. And I believe Moses' conversion to God's plan took place the day he set foot on Pharaoh's ground. The day he walked in there and said the first time, let my people go. You see, he, he conformed his plan to God's purposes. You've probably at least looked in the table of contents of your Bible to see that there's a book there called Amos. <laughs> I hope you've read it. But Amos, you know what he was? He was a, a dresser of trees. He, he pruned trees, and he took care of herds. He was like a shepherd. And I want you to hear what he says. Right in the middle of his prophecy in Amos 7, verses 14 to 16, Amos answered and said to King Amaziah, I was not a prophet nor a prophet's son. I was a herdsman, a dresser of sycamore trees. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. Did you get that? I was just minding my own business, and God changed my plans. All I wanted to do was tend those herds, and I wanted to trim those trees, but God said, you go prophesy to Amaziah, so here I am. And in the New Testament, we all know about Saul's conversion on the Damascus Road, but when he recounts that in the book of Galatians, don't you love this? I would have you to know that the gospel was preached by me is not any human's gospel. I did not receive it from any human, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. You've heard of my former life, how I persecuted the church of God violently. I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, extremely ze zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. 
I did not consult with him. Did you hear what Paul said? <laughs> Paul said, I was, I was breathing out threatenings and slaughters, according to Luke, against the people of God. But when God called me, I didn't ask anybody, what do you think about this? I just changed direction. I got right on down there to doing what God had called me to do. You know, I don't think that most of us will ever go through the challenge that Joseph had to go through. <laughs> I, I don't think most of us will have to make that difficult of a decision. I think God may use you as you are with your gifts and your graces and he might even use and adapt your plans to his purposes. And we'd all say amen and praise the Lord and hallelujah. God may even call you to use your plans for his purposes. But he will always make it your choice. He will always make it your choice. Some of us think, you know, that Conversion comes down to a big event on one day at one moment in time, and I think that's true for some people. But sometimes conversion comes over time as we begin to realize that my life needs to adjust and adapt to his will. However it happens, it's the way we become like Joseph, just, righteous, because it's no longer about us. It's about him. You know, the truth is, there's nothing just in me, and I'm pretty sure there's nothing all that just in you. We are all sinners. We are all sinners. We're fallen beings. But when we allow God to work his work in us, and we begin to adapt our life to his eternal life, when we begin to adapt our plans to his purposes, quite amazing what he can do after thousands of years God said I've got an idea actually he knew it when it started and I'm going to place it in this young mother named Mary and I'm going to challenge the one to whom she is betrothed to make a choice he can choose to serve himself he can choose to do what he needs to do I'll fix the problem in another way or he can choose to adapt his plans to my purposes. Because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And he will give her the name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Friends, adapting your plans to his purpose. That's conversion. Amen. Let's sing together.